whenever Greg and I talk about sermons and we talk about titles, I got a little excited about a title that came up on the inside of me yesterday. I thought it was great. You know, it's real technical wizardry title. I'm not even going to bother to tell you what it was. It, it was a waste. Um, I got up this morning and, and I, 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 the entire sermon changed, you know. The title changed. It became simpler, easier to digest and understand. And I wanted to print the sermon off. I usually have to walk in here with a big old giant laptop computer. Have you seen me preach off that big laptop computer? It's because for the life of me at the house, I can't get the printer to work, okay? So I, I couldn't call my oldest son because he was in church in Texas three hours ahead of me, right? Couldn't call Nathan because it wasn't the crack of noon yet. And I, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was too early to call my youngest son. And so I'm shouting. I'm shouting. Ruthie won't come downstairs. I'm shouting. Come out of him, Legion. I, I'm doing all kinds of things to this printer, trying to get this thing to print. And finally, when I started to get it to print, I, I realized when I sat down with these notes that I got right here in front of me, I heard this whizzing bang noise, and I looked up, and the printer's printing another copy. And it dawned on me I had pressed that button about 24 times. I, I could have bound up those notes and given them out in booklets, and you could have taken them home and read them for yourself, you know. So I, I skipped the technical name of the, of the message, and I, and I just went with what the Lord told me to do. How many of you know we just need to obey God? We just need to obey God. Extravagant love from the Servant King series. That's what we're dealing with. And I printed out my scripture, so I'm just going to cheat and use the notes. Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. It was now two days before the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Thank you. I'm going to need that. You, you, you know I'm going to have to spread out here, mate. Right? And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? You ever met anybody like that? Look, look next to you and say to the person next to you, have you ever met anybody like that? Yeah. Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. These are people that are educated beyond their intelligence, okay? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Don't you just love it when Jesus does the defendant oh man why do you trouble her she has done a beautiful thing to me for you always have the poor with you and whenever you want you can do good for them but you will not always have me she has done what she could she has anointed my body beforehand for burial and truly I say to you wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world what she has done will be told in memory of her we're fulfilling scripture this morning in this very service then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. In this Servant King series, we've come to a sad chapter in the book of Mark. 
These verses displayed the hatred of men in all its ugliness. According to verses 1 and 2, the religious Jews are fed up with Jesus and his preaching. They want him dead, and they don't care what they have to do to see it come to pass. Why are they so angry? They're upset because Jesus has exposed their hypocrisy. They claim to be spiritual, godly men, and Jesus has proved them to be nothing more than religious phonies. Jesus made a fool out of them in front of the common people, and they're not wanting to stand for it. They're also angry, and I learned this from Pastor in one of his messages talking about the temple. They're also angry because Jesus is hurting their business. The religious leaders control the commerce down at the temple. They approved who sold the sheep and the birds and the other items used in the sacrifices. They charged a fee for the vendors to sell there and for the money changers to set up their booths there. They also collected a percentage of all sales made there. When Jesus threw the sellers and the money changers out of the temple, they determined in their hearts that Jesus had to go. Sound like old-time mafia, doesn't it, Pastor? As we move through the passage that we'll review again today, we will discover the truth that money matters just a little too much to some people. Those kind of people will be fine until you use money for something they disagree with, then they get disagreeable. There's a contrast, though, that I love in this passage of Scripture. While this passage reveals human nature at its worst, there's also a picture here of human nature that has been changed by Christ. It's powerful. These verses paint a portrait of what I call extravagant love. I want us all to see the kind of love that every redeemed heart should have for our Savior. I want you to see the extravagant love on display. I want us to see this love in action so that we might be motivated to express that same kind of unconditional, selfless, all-consuming, boundless, extravagant love to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to preach about and teach about that extravagant love today. There will just be three points to this message. The demonstration of extravagant love, the discouragement of extravagant love, and the defense of extravagant love. Let's consider these thoughts together today. First point, the demonstration of extravagant love. These events took place in the little town of Bethany. So we're going to look at the setting for this demonstration. These events took place in the little town of Bethany, which was located on the southern slope of the Mount of Olives, just a few miles from Jerusalem. Bethany was a favorite location for Jesus. Now, you say, well, Brother Dennis, how do you know that? Well, I don't know. You just look at the evidence. You know what I'm saying? You look at the evidence. Bethany was a favorite location for Jesus. He had some very good friends who lived there. These friends were siblings, and their names were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Did you know they were two sisters and a brother? Did their names sound familiar? Jesus often visited them in their home and benefited from their hospitality. It was also this Lazarus that had died and was raised from the dead by Jesus. That... that that man must have had a special place in the heart of Christ. But I know he doesn't love Lazarus anymore, and he loves me, or he loves you. Can you say amen? So Bethany was a special place for the Lord Jesus. We're also told that this event occurred in a home of a man called Simon the leper. 
It would appear that this man had been healed from leprosy by Jesus and throws a feast in the Lord's honor to thank him for what he has done in his life. If the Lord has ever done anything for you, you'll be thankful for it. Amen? I'm grateful. Um, I'm a high-performance wide body model. How many of you know that if you're cleaning the driveway and your feet go up above your head and your back and your head comes down to the pavement, that it isn't like a ballerina-type move. And while you're going down, you're starting to pray already. Dear Lord, you know, help me, right? It's not a deep prayer. It's just prayer, amen? It's reaching out to God, all right? So I hit the ground, and I, hadn't, I haven't laid down again since Wednesday night, you know? How many of you know that if you can't sleep lying down, you will eventually sleep setting up? It's not rocket science, right? You will eventually get tired enough to sleep setting up, but it's okay. I'm fine. I get better every day. Lots of prayer going up, and I feel wonderful, especially now. I, I think the devil didn't want me to get here today, you know? You know, that's all. All right, we're told in John's account of the same event that Martha is there serving. Remember, remember that? Any women here named Martha? Okay, I can make the Martha joke. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how many times I have not restrained myself from saying when I meet a woman named Martha, I go, Martha, Martha. <laughs> Carl Dennis, good to meet you. <laughs> and most of the time they say, if I had a nickel for every time somebody said that to me, Martha, Martha. All right. This is a scene of love. Jesus is surrounded for the most part by people who genuinely love him and by people who truly care for him. Amen. I mean, his disciples are there. Lazarus is there. Simon the leper is there. Martha is there. And Mary is there. Now, I've got to gotta, make reference to this. Notice what they're doing. The Bible says he sat at meat. They're together enjoying fellowship over a meal. Did you know that a lot of fellowship that people have had with Jesus when he was on this earth were at the dinner table? This is not malnutrition hanging out under my chin. And I love to fellowship over breaking bread. Can you say amen? So they're eating at church, all right? Now, some people don't like that. I don't understand that. Don't rain on my parade. If you don't like it, keep it to yourself, all right? <laughs> so we have the setting for the demonstration. We're at Simon the leper's house, amen? We have the sacrifice of demonstration. As Jesus sits there at that meal, Mary enters the room. She has with her an alabaster box filled with ointment of spikenard. We are told that this ointment was very precious. She broke that box and she poured the contents of it on the head of the Lord Jesus. John also tells us that she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. This is an extravagant demonstration of love that deserves a few minutes of our time. The box is actually a flask. I don't even know what a flask is. Container. The box is actually a flask. Within that flask was a substance called spike nard or just nard. It's a red tinted ointment that is drawn from a plant that grows in India today. It was a perfume that was used in the embalming process. It was so expensive that only the very wealthy could normally afford to purchase it. We're told in verse 5 that it was worth 300 pence. Today, that would be like you saying, I'd like some of that, and, you, Paul, and you'd put together a year's worth of salary in today's terms to go buy some of that stuff. Very precious. Very precious. Can you say amen? 
So Mary enters the room. She breaks the neck of that flask. She pours some of the ointment on the Lord's head. The rest she pours out on his feet. Then she falls down before Jesus and washes the Lord's feet with her hair. It was an extravagant gift. Thus the title of the message in the Servant King series. Listen to this. So Mary enters the room, breaks the neck of that flask. She pours some of the ointment on the Lord's head. The rest she pours on his feet. She falls down before Jesus and washes the Lord's feet with her hair. It's an extravagant gift. John says that when she did this, the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. John 12 and 3. Then there was a statement in this demonstration. Why did Mary do it? Why'd she do it? Was she trying to impress the people who had gathered at the feast? No, because Jesus never rebuked her for that. He didn't critique her. He didn't get on to her for what she did. Was she trying to impress the people who had gathered at the feast? I say no. Was she trying to prove how much she loved Jesus? I think that the act of the extravagant love was for the benefit and the benefit alone of Jesus Christ. She just did it for Jesus. When she came that day, broke that flask, anointed the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair, she was making a statement. In fact, she was making several statements. One, she was making a statement about her commitment to him. When she broke the flask, there was no going back. The entire contents of that vessel would have to be used because she broke the container that it was held in. The entire contents of that vessel would have to be used. Her commitment to him was unconditional and complete. She was making a statement about his value to her. She had probably saved her entire life to be able to purchase that flask of ointment she was probably saving it for either her own burial or Lazarus' burial. But if it was for Lazarus, we know she didn't use all of it because Lazarus had already died and had been prepared for burial and had been in the tomb when Jesus raised him from the dead. Can you say amen? There's only one other reason she might have bought this for. If it wasn't for her own burial, it was for her wedding day. This is a beautiful aroma. Filled the house where they were. There were times when you would use this to put a few drops on the head of a very, very special guest in your home that you wanted to honor. How many of you know this wasn't a few drops? There's everything in the container. So she was making a statement about her commitment to him. She was making a statement about his value to her. She was making a statement about her value to herself. By this act, Mary was demonstrating that Jesus meant more to her than her own reputation. She sacrificed her pride in order to serve him. She was saying, I love you so much that I do not care what anyone thinks about my expression of my love for you. And you say, Brother Dennis, where you get this? I look at the evidence. I look at the evidence. Two things that she did to prove this truth. Listen to this, folks. First, only prostitutes were seen in public with their hair down. At that moment, she didn't care what anyone thought of her. She merely wanted to express her extravagant love for her Lord. She didn't care what people would say about her or what they would think. You read in the book of John, she not only, she not only washed his feet and, and dried them with her hair, she wept while she did it. 
and didn't care what anybody was going to think or what anybody was going to say. Second, do you know that the task of washing people's feet in your home as a guest, you know who it was relegated to? First of all, it was relegated to slaves or servants. Or if you didn't have any slaves, you didn't have any servants, you just gave your guests a bowl of water and a towel and let them wash their own feet. She didn't do that. She busted this container. She poured this precious ointment out on Jesus, all of it. And then she, she cleaned his feet and dried them with her hair, and she didn't care what anybody thought. She was making a statement about the value of her possessions. To Mary, nothing in the world was as valuable to her as Jesus. To Mary, nothing in the world was as valuable to her as Jesus was. She loved him with an extravagant love, and everything she possessed was his anyway. She loved the Lord more than she loved her things. It was common in those days to put a few drops of perfume on the head of an honored guest, when they arrived at your home, Mary broke the flask and poured out every drop on Jesus because she loved him. She was making a statement about his worthiness to be worshipped and served. Why did Mary do this? Well, she did it because she was thankful. She was thankful because Jesus was her redeemer. He had saved her soul from sin, and she was filled with love for that act. She also did it because the Lord had raised her brother from the dead. I don't know who Simon the leper was, but uh, they were all in this home. Some scholars just took for granted that Simon the leper was the father of, of these three siblings. It may or may not be true. It doesn't matter. To me, they were close enough to Simon the leper to be guests in his home with Jesus if, they, if he wasn't their father. And number two, they were also grateful that Christ had healed Simon the leper of his leprosy. They had a lot to be thankful for. A lot to be thankful for. She was so overwhelmed with love for him that she willingly gave up all that she had in one act of selfless, extravagant worship. On top of that, Mary believed that Jesus was going on to die on a cross in verse 8. Isn't that amazing that a woman hanging out with the crowd, listening to Jesus speak, not none of his disciples got it. They didn't get it. When Jesus said 24 times in the four Gospels, I know because I counted. He said 24 times, I'm going to die on the cross for you. I'm going to be raised from the dead. Said it 24 times, and out of the crowd, she's the only one that got it. You know, it dawned on me this morning that the disciples were just about useless to Jesus in a way. Up until he died on the cross and was raised from the dead. And he's standing in front of them saying, I told you so. They didn't start doing supernatural things on a regular basis until after that fact. You know, they held pretty prestigious positions in the life of Christ and his ministry while he was alive, and they didn't want that to change. They didn't want it to change. But she had heard. This little girl named Mary had heard, and she believed him. She just took him at his word. We don't see a lot of extravagant love for Jesus in the days in which we live. Not like this. I'm not trying to be mean, but I think we all need to wake up and smell the coffee, the spiritual coffee. Can you say amen? There are very few who are willing to serve him with no thought of anything in return. There are very few who will sacrifice their pride and their possessions so the Lord might be honored by their giving. There are not many who love him extravagantly. Look at your own light. 
your own life in the light of Mary's statements of faith. Far too many are like the fellow. Listen to this. Far too many are like the fellow who called his girlfriend up one day and said, Darling, I love you. I would climb the highest mountain for you. I'd swim the deepest river for you. I'd fight a jungle full of lions for you. I love you. And if it doesn't rain tonight, I'll come see you. I mean, think about it. Isn't that kind of how we talk to God sometimes? Isn't that kind of how we talk to Jesus? I'd do anything for you, you know. Second point in the sermon is the discouragement of extravagant love. And I hate this point. Mary's demonstration of extravagant love is wonderful to behold. I wish the words that were spoken, though, in verses 4 and 5 had never been uttered. But how many of you know we need the truth of what was said? We need to be reminded of the truth that not everyone appreciates extravagant worship. How many of you have ever been criticized for the way you worship? Listen now. Listen to me. I was raised Southern Baptist. I was ordained in a Pentecostal church, right? Oh, now I'm here. <laughs> now I'm here. But I, all of my cousins were Southern Baptists, and I'm not throwing rocks at them. I love Southern Baptists. Southern Baptists are solid people. They're solid people, okay? Uh, but they made fun of the way we worship. How many of you have ever been there before? We were too loud. We are disrespectful. What are you doing raising your hands in church, you know? You were a little loud there, weren't you, this morning, you know? <laughs> Maybe I've, I've uh, meddled enough. <laughs> in fact, some people seem to believe it is their calling in life to be as cheap in their love for the Lord as possible. There's a word here for and about people with that attitude. How many of you understand that when things like this happen, there's always an attack? There's always an attack. The Bible tells us that some of those standing there were moved with indignation. That, that was the attack. They're moved with indignation. The word means to be very displeased. They were not happy with what Mary had done to Jesus. They went so far as to say that her act of selfless worship was nothing more than a waste. The word refers to something that is utterly destroyed, ruined, and perished. She broke that flask. She can't, we can't recover any of that. It's all wasted now. Look at this on the floor around Jesus' feet. I learned to talk like that from my mother. <laughs> they looked at the ointment on the head of Jesus. They looked at the ointment on the, on the ground around his feet, and they said, what a waste. The ointment is ruined, and now it is good for nothing. There'll be an accounting when something like this happens. Then one of the disciples, according to John chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, it was Judas Iscariot, calculated that the ointment would have been worth 300 pence, as we said, a year's worth of wages. Then there's an accusation. These things, uh, three A's, an attack, an accounting, and an accusation. All right? Then Judas and the rest declared that the ointment should have been sold. They could have, been taken the, they could have taken the money and given it to the poor. This sounds good, and it sounds spiritual. However, John 12, 6 says, this he said, not that he cared for the poor. And who is, who's saying it? Judas, right? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. And I said to myself, the bag, what's the bag? So I did a little study, and you know what the bag was? The bag was what Jesus and the disciples carried with them. They had money in it. And they used it to give to the poor, and they used it to take care of expenses. And there was so much money in the bag. And Judas, he, cared, he carried the bag. And there was so much money in the bag 
that Judas stole from it throughout Jesus' ministry, and Jesus is the only one that knew. That's how much money was in the bag. Now, Jesus chose to be poor. He didn't, chose, he didn't choose to spend that money on uh, extravagant rooms and penthouses and all that kind of stuff. He wanted to have money around to give to the poor. Can you say amen? Right? And he wanted to be able to send the disciples to buy food when they needed to or to get a room when they needed to get a room. Do what they needed to do. They had money to do it. They weren't extravagant about it, though. All right? So this bag of money, Judas took care of it. Even if they had sold that stuff and put the money in the bag, a little bit of it went to the poor, but most of it would have lined the pockets of Judas Iscariot. It was an inherent problem that existed in Judas, and in the end, it was his downfall. This is a sad scene. Here's a woman who loves Jesus more than she loves her life, her wealth, or her possessions. She sacrificed her pride and her precious ointment because she wanted to worship and honor the Lord Jesus. She worshiped him publicly openly, sacrificially, and extravagantly. She gave away all that she had to worship him. Her worship was expensive and extravagant. Yet her extravagant love is misunderstood and misinterpreted by who? The Lord's disciples. That's scary. They ridiculed her and tried to make her feel bad for the things she did for Jesus. Why did they treat her this way? Listen to me now. They treated her like that, like this, because they did it because they did not have the same heart of love for Jesus that she had. You know, the rock throwers in this world generally throwing rocks at people who are doing things that the rock throwers should be doing. And they got caught not doing it. So they picked up rocks and they threw rocks at her verbally. They treated her like they did because they did not have the same heart of love for Jesus that she had. She loved him more than life, and she was willing to give him all that she had in response. They were upset. They did not think he was worthy of the same kind of love that she deemed him worthy of. Jesus wasn't worth the ointment in that bottle to them. But he was to her. What kind of value do we give Jesus today in our lives? We still see this mentality at work. People give themselves to all kinds of pursuits in life. Some give themselves to money, and people call them a success. Some give themselves to sports, and they become star athletes, and people call them what? Heroes. Some give themselves to politics and are called great civic leaders. Some give themselves to academics, and people talk about how wonderful they are because they're intellectual. Nothing wrong with a college education. Don't walk away from here saying, I said that. But I think that everything we do, whether it be with money or whether it be with a college education or whatever it is, should be done to the glory of God. Amen? If you let a talented young man or woman give themselves to a life of service to the Lord Jesus Christ, and people will say, what a waste. I got some rich cousins. I won't tell you their names. You don't know them anyway. You didn't know I had rich cousins, did you? <laughs> I had rich cousins that literally thought that my being in the ministry was a waste of my time, a waste of my life. A rich conclusion that no matter what you do in life, you not do it for the glory of God and to honor the Lord Jesus, it was a waste of time, it was a waste of money, it was a waste of energy. It's like the poet said, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. I don't care how much money you make, how much education you get, 
how much you do for people around you, or anything else you want to name. If you do not do what you do for the glory of God, it means nothing. You know, that's why just I can't think of hardly a day in my life going by that I don't talk to God in my prayer life about my motives, why I do what I do. Folks, I'm telling you, look, look at me and let me tell you one more time. Outside of Jesus Christ, I'm a worse mess than you are. I mean, some of you out there think you're in a pretty messy life. Jesus loves you. He loves you. Outside of Jesus Christ, my motivation's all messed up. The why I do what I do is all messed up. My life's all messed up. I, if there's anything at all that you think is nice about me, it's Jesus. That's it. It's just Jesus. I'm just as messed up outside of Jesus as anybody in the world. <clears throat> the specifics are none of your business, but... Let me tell you something. I want to go on the record today and tell you something that people don't like to hear. I've had people get up and walk out of church services over this, Pastor. But every now and then it just needs to be said. So I'm going to go on the record today and tell you that it takes money to run a church. If a church is going to grow, expand its ministries, and provide things for its members, it takes resources. If you have a problem with that, you need to take it up with the Lord. I didn't write the rule. I didn't make things the way they are. And if I were you, I wouldn't threaten God by withholding things that belong to him. Are you listening to me? I didn't want to say that. I even said, Lord, I, I, I'll leave that out. Or I'll blame it. It happens at some other church. No, no, Lord said, no, you say it. So I don't know. I just got to say it, right? I just said, I got to put it out there. The Bible says the tithe is the Lord's, Leviticus 27 and 30. That's a dangerous game to play. You'll be a loser in the end. If you withhold from God, what is God's? But now I will tell you this. Listen to me. There are people that aren't tithers that want to be tithers. And you know what? We tithe by grace, not by the law. And if you're not a tither but you want to be a tither, talk to God about it. I'm telling you, that, that's a prayer. God will move on it. God will rearrange all the finances in your life if you desire to be a tither. But all of the circumstances of life are against you right now. That's what God's all about about turning all those things around and making things different, right? I'm not mad at anybody. I love you to death. I, I, I love you so much. I pray for you. Every time you come to my heart and mind, I pray for my pastor and Pelzetta, and I pray for this church. I pray as your faces come to me, I lift you up to the Lord. I love you. I wouldn't hurt you viciously or maliciously for anything in the world. But if I withheld truth from you, I would be hurting you, and I will not hurt you. Why do people sometimes get all threatening with their money? Well, I'll just take all my marbles and go somewhere else. They don't like what's going on, you know. I'm going to tell you why. You ain't going to like it. Why do people act and think this way? And then it's because they're just like Judas. Have you ever had better? That person suffers from a Jezebel spirit. How many of you ever heard that? Well, guess what? There's a Judas spirit out there too. It ain't just some woman's name. It's a guy too, you know. I don't want to suffer from the spirit of Judas. Amen? Listen, where Ju Judas ended up betraying Christ our Lord started as being a petty thief. And never letting God be God in his life. Amen? Amen? All right. 
There was something about Judas that he felt left out, though. I, I believe that. I believe he felt left out of that core of guys that were the closest to Jesus. And jealousy crept in. Because he was left out, he lashed out. So, as with, so it is with people today. They see the Lord working. They see the Lord blessing. They see the Lord moving. And they don't like how everything that is being done, you know, they don't like how everything's being done. They're not in the center. They're not in the spearhead. And they don't like it. You ever met anybody like that? It's nothing more than self-centered thinking. People who do that can see nothing but the material side of life. They criticize and they gripe about what the church does with everything. Not limited to just one thing. Materially minded and have no concept of spiritual things. If everything you, uh, you've seen in terms of dollars and everything for you is seen in terms of dollars and cents, you will miss out on much of what the Lord is doing in this world. He wants individuals and churches to love him extravagantly. Amen? I wrote a note here. You might as well face this truth today. If you decide to give Jesus extravagant worship, you will be criticized by people who do not feel the way about him that you do. If you shout, testify, cry, give him vocal and visible praise, you'll be criticized by people who don't. You ever been there? If you give your resources to him, you'll be criticized by people who think it's wasteful. If your church grows and uses the resources God gives her to expand her ministry, some will criticize what the church is doing. Just human nature. You know, I'll, I'll be bold enough to say this. Just the other day, I was telling pastor and some of the, the elders of the church that, you know, when I was pastoring, you know, pastoring was great for one for the people. I mean, <laughs> not everybody. Don't look at me like that. You know that's funny. <laughs> Why, you know what happens, though, in church? Do you know that sometimes things go wrong? Did you know that? Some people think it's always this man's fault. What are you looking at me for? I'm just, <laughs> no, listen to me. This place is a spiritual hospital, and sick people will come here to find love, to find acceptance, to find prayer, to find help, to help them grow. Can you say Amen. And so sometimes things go wrong because people in the church, you get life is messy, right? Jesus is the only one that can clean it up. Don't kill the wounded. Amen. Don't kill them. Take them in and nurse them back to health. Amen. All right. What should our response be? What was Mary's response? And listen to this. What should our response be when we're attacked for extravagantly loving the Lord? It should be identical to Mary's. She had no response at all. She did not care. She didn't give, in common layman terms, a flying flip about what people thought of her and the way she worshiped and what she gave Jesus and what she did for Jesus. Just didn't matter to her what you or me thought. Notice how she didn't check with any of us before she did this, right? <laughs> she had a plan and she followed it out. All right, the defense of extravagant love. It's all Jesus. Amen? Jesus is the only one that can defend you. If Jesus decides to defend you, you're all right. Amen? So quickly, Mark 14, 6 says, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She hath wrought a good work on me. I think it is clear from this statement that the Lord's heart is grieved by the attitude of his men. Mary's given him extravagant love, and they've given him nothing compared to what she gave him. Amen? All right. She gave him the best she had, and they're attacking her for simply loving Jesus. They looked at her gift, and they called it waste. Jesus looked at what she did. And said, she has wrought a beautiful work on me. King James Version said, a good work on me. 
But that word good was translated properly in the English Standard Version, a beautiful work. Amen? The disciples said it's a waste. Jesus said it's beautiful. It's beautiful. They said it's a waste. Jesus said it's beautiful. It's not a waste. It's beautiful. What Mary did was extravagant. It bothered the greedy disciples, but it blessed the Lord Jesus. He took Mary's common act of anointing his head and washing his feet and elevated it into the realm of a spiritual work. A physical work was elevated by Jesus into a spiritual work. The Bible's clear that God's people are to be engaged in good works. Can you say amen? It may be a monetary gift, a song of praise, a humble testimony, a loud shout, a lifted hand, a kind word, a cold cup of water, Pastor. Amen? Or anything else you want to name. If it is given for His glory and in His name, it becomes an act of extra extravagant worship for His glory. It all comes down to who you do the things for. If you do them for yourself, you have your reward. If you do them for others only, you have your reward. If you do them for the glory of God as an act of extravagant love and worship, you will have His reward. Mm. You know, when Jesus compliments you, you know, flattery is really an evil thing. Flattery is an evil thing. If I say something nice about you just because I want to win you over, I've lied to you. If Jesus compliments you, though, it's real. In Mark 14 and 7, for you have the poor with you always, and whosoever, you will, may, you, will uh, you can do them good anytime you want. Amen? Common layman terms. The poor, you're going to have all. I mean, you know, there's a lot of poor people out there. The poor will always be there. But she knew that Jesus was going to the cross to die for sin and sinners. She took advantage of an opportunity she was afforded, and she gave him extravagant love and worship. Mark 14 and 8. She has done a good thing. Amen. There's a lot that Mary could not do. What if she decided to make him cloak? It's too late. She can't make nothing for him. She can't make a coat for him. Could she go to the Gethsemane for him? Nope, she couldn't do it. Couldn't go to the garden for him. And she certainly couldn't go to the cross for him. But she could do this for him. She did what she could. That's all that God asks of you. Do what you can. You can't do it all. But there are some things you can do. You can pray. You can witness. You can work. You can give. You can be faithful. You can read your Bible. You can support the church. You can help your neighbor. You can teach a Sunday school class. Do what you can. By the way, you won't be able to do the things you do now forever. But you can teach others how to do it so they can step in when you can. One of these days, I'm going to die. I'll preach my last sermon. I will pray my last prayer. And render my last service to Jesus and his church. When that day comes, I want him to be able to say about me, he did what he could. In Mark 14, verse 8, she has come beforehand to anoint my body for the burial. For the burial. Jesus has been telling his disciples that he was going to the cross to die for sin. They never did believe him. Not once did they believe him until he did it. They doubted him until after he was dead and risen again. Mary, on the other hand, believed the Lord. 
She knew where he was headed. She was serving him by faith, trusting that everything he said was true. This is another lesson we can learn from Mary's extravagant love gift. She gave him love, worship, service, and sacrifice because she was walking with him in faith. Folks, folks that's what you got to do. That's the only answer. You can, you can torment yourself on asking yourself, how can I do this? How can I do this? How can I do this? You do it the way you do everything that you do successfully with Christ. You do it by faith. That's what he wants from us. He simply wants us to love him, to trust him, and to believe him. He doesn't want us to have, to have all the answers. He just wants us to believe him. If I have him, don't I have all the answers? Mark 14 and 9, Verily I say unto you, whosoever or wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken for a memorial of her, which is fulfilled scripture. Amen? This is an amazing statement. The disciples looked at what Mary did and they cried, Waste. Jesus looked at it and he said, Beautiful. Jesus said that this gift of extravagant love for Mary would be retold everywhere the gospel would be preached. For 2,000 years that statement's been proven true. God is teaching us that everything that represents true service to him will never be forgotten. Those things are noted by him, and they possess lasting, eternal value. There will come a day when he will reward his servants for their service of extravagant worship for his glory. Mark 9.41 says, For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, you shall not lose his reward. Mary did what she could, and she was rewarded accordingly. How have you done what you could? Are you doing what you can? Are you giving our Lord demonstrations of extravagant worship? Has he spoken to you about this matter? I know he has spoken to me about it. I want to give him all the glory, worship, and praise that is due him, and I can only do it by the power of the Spirit. It's the only thing that can change me. And that last verse of Scripture was where the revelation of Judas Iscariot, I'm not even preaching on it, I'll just tell you. He was, so, he was so pinched, he was so cut to the core about what Mary did, he made up his mind, now the time, now's the time I'm going to betray him. He sought out physically after that the way to go betray Jesus. And he's going to get money for it, money. The love of money, the love of money is the root of all evil, not money. You know, God's not opposed to you having money. He's not opposed to it. He, uh, he'll give you some money, but you better be asking him about what he wants you to do with it. Because if you don't, your priorities are messed up. Amen? Well, God's good. Amen? I love you very much, and I don't love you anywhere near as much as he does. And I always tell you, I love, I, I'm sorry I went long, you know, but I didn't even touch the word in conclusion. I didn't say it. So, that's okay. Listen to me carefully now. I'm going to tell you this. We, 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 we're here a long time today. That's okay. Amen. Restaurant's still open. I'm telling you what, if you're sitting here today and this word didn't touch you, you're twice dead and plugged up by the roots. I'll just tell you that right now. That's an old King James Version phrase. Twice dead and plucked up by the roots. 
Now, I don't know a person in this room. I look around, I see these faces. I'm getting to know you, and you're getting to know me, you know. Pray for me. I got to go back to work in my other ministry on the road on Tuesday, and I'll be gone for a couple weeks, but then I'll be back, you know. I just look like one of those guys that comes and goes because I'm one of those guys that comes and goes. (laughs) I come, and I got to go do ministry elsewhere for two weeks, okay? But I love you very, very much, and I want you to give, you know, God a gift today. I want you to let me pray for you. I believe with all of my heart, if you let me pray for you in the mighty name of Jesus, Jesus hears our prayers. Don't let the devil lie to you and tell you that prayers don't matter or it's hit and miss. or what. That's none of that's true. Those are all lies to diminish the power of prayer in your life. I just know that I know that I know if I ask Jesus to touch you, if I ask Father to help you, if I ask the Spirit of God to move on you, in the name of Jesus, God's going to do it. Am I the only one that feels like that outside of Jesus, my life is a mess? How many, tell the truth. Is your life a mess outside of Jesus? Yeah, that's right. So stand up. Walk up here and gather around me and get under.